welcome into episode 13 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm one half of the hosting duties, Doug. And I'm the other half, the one they call Pete. Hey Pete, uh, I guess this will be the last time we do a podcast together for a few weeks, yeah? Uh, next week I'll uh, be calling in from Miami of all places for a conference. So yeah, next week uh, you're going to get to not see my pretty face. Nice, we'll be back on the road. Yep, road trip again. Um, so yeah, on this episode, uh, we have Ted Wong from the PP1 podcast on. Uh, we discuss about the Canucks' uh, early season success and some of their uh, blemishes they've had these past few games, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a good conversation. We get into kind of all aspects of the team and where he thinks they are and where we kind of agree on a lot of things as well. Uh, but yeah, it's a really good conversation coming up. Also, give us a follow on Twitter, at Canucks Speakeasy. Uh, the Twitter handle is at Canucks Speak. And mine is Pete underscore Gas. And I'm at Doug Venn, V-E-N-N. Also, Doug, we got the uh, Spotify. Yes. Also, give us a follow on Spotify. Uh, we set up a profile. I think we mentioned this in last week's episode. Uh, but we set up a Spotify profile. So give us a follow on there. Uh, check out our ever-growing playlist. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your guys' comments. It's all funky outro music, all the funky outro beats that we play. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, we got a couple of topics to get into this week. Uh, let's talk about, I know we probably don't really want to talk about them, but we should kind of go over the Canucks sh- struggles these last four games. Yeah, November's traditionally been a tough month for the Canucks. I remember last year they went on a 1-7-2 and run right about this time of year, uh, going 0-3-1 and and a couple of real kind of snoozers in there too so it's trying to trying to extrapolate some of the good from it's a, a little bit tricky but hasn't been the finest week a lot of that kind of shine uh, has kind of worn off and turned a little bit into the rust of a a long regular season as we approach the quarter pole yeah i mean i think there's always a little bit of natural regression right the canucks were never gonna keep you know scoring five to seven goals a game and obviously the competition's been a little bit tougher and I think the big thing is is the Canucks are playing a lot more games in a condensed amount of time. Beginning of the year, they had so much. I mean, it seemed like it took the Canucks to finally play eight games. It seemed like we're a month and a half into the season before we actually played eight games. Um, so, yeah, I kind of figured the Canucks would be a little bit hard-pressed against the this little run they've had here. A little bit disappointed. We won't talk too, or too detailed about the games, but uh, the game today... You know, we lost to Jersey 2-1. Uh, the Devils have five wins on the season. Two of them are against the Canucks. Yeah, and really this week as well, there's been a few strange things. The Canucks playing three games in three cities in less than 72 hours. That's a bit of a bit of an odd one. They played in four games over the past, four, sorry, four cities over the last five days as well. The thing that really jumps out at me, though, and I know a lot of people have been talking about it, is uh, the goal production, which only producing five goals over the last four games. The secondary scoring has really dried up for this team. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that uh, we talk about it with Ted in the next segment, but uh, that was kind of one of the highlights early on in the season. Uh, when the Canucks were having all that success, it was the um, the goal scoring was coming from all, almost all four lines, and that definitely seems to have dried up. But you always go through these kind of trials and tribulations throughout a season. You're going to have your ups. You're going to have your downs. You're going to have the bounces go your way. The bounces go against you. We haven't played terribly either. It's just that we haven't... It hasn't been the same sort of excitement. It's just a little... Like I said, a little bit of the shine has worn off with this team. And you mentioned the four lines, but the blue line is also 
kind of dried up is we only have one goal from the blue line since the fifth game of the season, and that was Quinton Hughes a couple of games ago. So it's just, in general, the scoring has, has kind of... A lot of that early hype we got, the Schaller train, the, the Vertanen goals, uh, even Tanner Pearson, he's only got two goals on the year right now, and so does uh, Josh Levos. So that that's something that the team had tried to address, and I know that I was saying it going into the, the year is, you know, where's the secondary scoring from and where's this top nine and how's the top nine going to produce? And this is really the first challenge that they've really kind of come across. So we're going into a really tough stretch of games here. Jersey, for whatever reason, just seems to have our number. It reminds me of the old when St. Louis, went, before they were good, when they had Curtis Sanford, before he played for the Canucks, uh, they just always had our number. And Jersey, I think that's something like nine in a row or the jerseys had against us and the same with the jets that's eight in a row the jets have had against us eight or nine it's just teams that just have our number then it's not getting easier coming up here even though at this homestand we got nashville dallas and colorado on a homestand before heading out in the road to see dallas and nashville again among other teams against washington philly pittsburgh edmonton like Geez, that's a tough November, and I know you've said this before too, but this is really going to put a test on the team and see where we really are. Yeah, I got to say though, I am unbelievably excited to see McCarr and Hughes go head-to-head in that Colorado game. Um, should be a good game, but yeah, November has been very tough for us schedule-wise, and this year is no different. Um, I think depending if the Canucks can kind of stay afloat and kind of get points where they can, and they were able to capitalize that on the early games uh, this year. And so if they can continue to do that and scrape back and at least claw to get that one, you know, that extra point going into overtime type of thing. Um, yeah. I, I think the Canucks should be looking pretty good heading into Christmas uh, for a playoff spot. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope so. I think that, like I said, I've, I've always had concerns about our secondary scoring and whether some of these guys could continue at the torrid paces that they started off. I mean, Brandon Sutter, is he a 20 goal third line center again? I don't know. I, I, it's just more the question for me is, is around Bo Horvat and who he's going to play with. And I know we talk about this with Ted as well. But for me, this is one of the more underlying issues is I still feel that the Canucks could use an upgrade somewhere in their wing. Yeah, I totally agree. And they've recalled Berchi. Berchi, I believe, has two games now played for the, for the team. I still think he's trying to get his timing in the NHL down. Um, I, I, I'd like to see Green give Berchi a fair shake with Horvat. They have had chemistry in the past. But at the moment, it has been a revolving door of line, line mates for uh, Horvat. Even today, you could see Green through all the lines in a blender. There was a line out there at one point, and it wasn't because of a PK switch or a, a power play switch. It was Petey with Gaudette and Schaller. Yeah. I think uh, in general, when things aren't working, Green is generally being trying to shuffle up the lines as best he can but I think uh I think the Horvat thing does need to be looked at I mean this has been his entire tenure with the Canucks really and we thought we had a bit of chemistry with Pearson we thought we had a bit with Berchi he's looked really good out there on the power play but I'd, I'd like to see them find some sort of uh, some sort of stability even just on one side to flank him and, and kind of get a little bit more going with uh with Bo because he's not producing at even strength right now. Well, Pearson's only got two assists in the last 12 games, four points on the, or sorry, six points on the season, two goals, four assists. So Pearson, for whatever reason, he seems to be struggling on the offensive end. 
He's still playing lights out on the PK. I mean, the Vancouver's PK is still playing very, very well. Again, the one thing I am getting concerned about lately is the Canucks seem to be taking more and more penalties and bad penalties as well. Well, if you're using the Jersey game, uh, I mean, the Jersey game in general is just horrible officiating. And then, uh, was it the Winnipeg game? I think there was just hardly any penalties at all. So it, it's, it seems to me, and I, I know I go on rants about this all the time, the league is wildly inconsistent with what is a penalty and when they call penalties. Uh, and I think we've had a bit of bad luck with that, and we've had a bit of fortunate luck in other games too. But I, I, I just, for me, it's it's the penalties shouldn't be what we talk about in the game. Uh, and unfortunately with this team, with what happened again against Jersey, it's the non-calls and the, and the, the ones that they did call, or some strange calls, are becoming more of a storyline. But uh, for me, it's, it's, it's more as well with what they do with how they manage the players in the special teams and how that affects the rest of the lineup. I know this really has an effect on the blue line and Alex Edler, how he leads the team in time on ice and going right through the disparity between him and Troy Stetcher, who apparently is our number six defenseman now. Yeah, I mean, I'm still surprised that, you know, that Stetcher just isn't being utilized more than he should be. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is I feel like the Canucks, they haven't really been blown out. The Winnipeg game, I know the score at the end didn't look great, but it was still a relatively close game. Uh, and I feel like the Canucks all year have played fairly solid. You know, they, they haven't been blown out, you know, Four nothing or anything like that all year. They've they've played a relatively, they've been competitive in every game they've played this year, and I think that goes a long way for this group. You know, just being more hard to play against and being more competitive and not having that quit. And that is one thing, one positive thing I will definitely say about this team, especially after the kind of four game, you know, bump in the road we've had here, is that they they are still being very competitive and they are still out there competing. I mean, today's game, for example, you know, they had a couple great chances late to get the equalizer and they just couldn't get the puck in the net. And even the Winnipeg game, you know, Winnipeg obviously pulled away in the end there. But, you know, there were some chances late in that game where I thought the Canucks were buzzing and they just, for whatever reason, couldn't get the puck past Hellebuck. Yeah, it's they've, they've, they've had chances for sure. I just, I just don't feel that they've been exciting the last couple of yeah. games. You know, there's a little bit of that excitement where you kind of... Uh, you don't see the same sort of four-line attack coming at you. Some of the, the passes aren't as crisp. Some of the breakouts aren't as crisp. They're doing a lot more of those drop uh, backs. And I know it worked on the Besser goal today, but some of these uh, drop backs through the neutral zone just kind of always drive me crazy. I can't bit. stand it. I, I hate it. I'd rather have the guy lead the puck up and, you know, gain possession or just dump and chase. Like, I just I can't stand when you... To me, you just lose all your momentum when you're a guy skates to the blue line, all of a sudden does a 180, passes it back to another guy. I just, uh, I, I hate it. Fun fact uh, from the game today is, did you know that the Canucks had 10 former first rounders in the lineup tonight? Whoa, no. And obviously not a lot of them were from us, about half of them were our guys, but yeah, still, they had 10 former first rounders in the lineup tonight. I thought that was kind of uh, an interesting little thing to, of note. Um, and the other thing, uh, you know, I like talking about jersey numbers. Number 13 is being uh, an illustrious one. Obviously, Matt Sundin is probably the most recognizable number 13, but he's by no means the longest-serving number 13 uh, with the team. Uh, would you have any idea who that would be? There's been two guys who've done it for just about the same amount of time. I don't... Did Yarko Rutu wear 13? No, Yar Yarko Rutu, if I remember, he was a weird, like, 57 or something. Was like he? That, okay. I, I, yeah. thought, I thought he had a weird, like, teenage number. Um, 
No, but, like... But there was uh, two guys that are pretty similar. Artin Chubarov. Chubarov, okay. And Lars Lindgren. Both mm. uh, wore the numbers for about five seasons with the Canucks. And a couple other notable number 13s. Uh, we had Sergei Nimchinov for a season do it. Yeah. Um, Victoria Boy, my, my hometown, Matt Pettinger, did it for the year he played. Rafi Torres, of course, had a great time doing that. Benino Benino in his brief stint with the team as well. And most recently, Brandon Leipzig. So 13 actually... Got a little bit of play in there, and even though I know we all remember that cup of coffee Matt Sundin had with the team, but I just wanted to shout out that there were a lot of goods that came with that number as well that weren't just uh, the whole Matt Sundin experiment. <laughs> and what an experiment that was. Um, yeah, so I guess should we transition into the the topic that has everybody uh, talking today? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's worth talking about for sure if you're talking about Ron and Don. Yeah, and again, just to preface, sorry guys, but with Pete hitting the road tomorrow and he's got a busy upcoming schedule, uh, we are recording this episode on Sunday, um, but we made sure we did it after the game tonight, so the episode will probably, well not probably, it will drop post the Nashville game on Tuesday. Uh, Dallas game on Tuesday or is it Nashville? Or I'm uh, getting it's, confused. It's, it's Nashville it's, Tuesday. It is Nashville. Yeah. I'm, I'm so confused with all these... Dallas and Nashville games. I should keep it in mind because I'll actually be in Nashville for the next time they play on the 21st. Nice. You going to the game? I got, got tickets to the game. It's after the conference. just worked out pretty well. Is it where are the Canucks? So they're on the way home from Miami, and there they are in Nashville. I'm going to do a little stopover and check out the boys there at Bridgestone. Nice. Got to smuggle a catfish in. Uh, no, no, I don't think I'll do that. <laughs> Um, yes, Ron and Don. Uh, this is something, obviously, we, we talked a bit about before. You really wanted to bring it up. What, 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 what do you got with us? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we don't, obviously, sports, for all of us, at least I think, it's an escape, right? Like, you love being a fan. but It's, it's entertainment. Exactly. And, you know, you don't want to get political. And there's another Canucks tie-in I'm going to add to this a little bit later. Um, you don't want to get political. You don't want to, you know, kind of talk about things that are controversial. You just want to have an entertaining, you know, fun experience with whatever sport you're watching, whether it's football, whether it's hockey. And obviously, it's you can't always look at everything with the rose-colored glasses. That obviously certain traits come out and certain people's thoughts or beliefs come out. Obviously, last night on Coach's Corner, Don Cherry said some xenophobic uh, comments about Remembrance Day coming up and, you know, uh, people not buying, you know, immigrants, according to him, not buying poppies or anything like that. Uh, it's, look, I just find it sad. Um, Don's been out of touch for a long time. We all know he's been out of touch for a long time. I'm by no means whatsoever trying to, you know, protect him or, you know, stick up for the guy. What he said was horrible, but... You know, it just it's a shame when you see a guy who did represent hockey and did represent Canada for years and years, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, kind of just over the years go farther and farther down this spiral and nobody seems to have had the balls to kind of step in and like put a stop to it. And I know now obviously CBC and Sportsnet have, you know, released statements, Hockey Canada released a statement. And Ron, Ron's released a statement too. I know, and a lot of people are pointing the finger at Ron because he's kind of incomparable in this and he's never actually, you know, pulled Don Cherry up for any of these comments and it's always kind of after the fact. And I yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on that, Pete. I think the way he said it was was totally wrong. I I think I mean, I'm curious to see why he hasn't issued an apology yet. When I woke up this morning, I went onto Twitter right away. It was it was there, Sportsnet, 
apologies. Ron with um, the hometown hockey, I knew he was probably going to do something. And sure enough, he did. And he took responsibility. I've met Ron McLean a couple of times uh, over the years. He is a, a good person. And I, I think he feels really bad about what has happened with that. I think it, it, the way that it was delivered, it happened really quickly. And I think he missed it. And I think he feels really bad about that. But the way that Don delivered a message uh, was, was, was totally wrong, in my opinion. It just, he didn't say what I think any a lot of people agree with. And I think even just pointing fingers and saying, you guys who came over here, I mean, this is a country built on immigrants. Like for like, what, what, what I, I don't know. I just, it, it really kind of struck a, a chord with me is just how out of touch he is and how we have let him kind of just run the course with it. And look, I've, I've always liked what Don Cherry had represented in terms of being kind of a, a relic of, 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 of my growing up, man. I remember watching Coach's Corner and the music hasn't changed and, you know, you get blues barking on there. It's like, it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of like when you hear uh, Bob Cole's voice, it's the same sort of thing. But it's, it's, as we get more correct as, as a country, he's got to adapt with that. I know he's 85 and it's tough to teach an old dog new tricks, but you can't be saying that kind of stuff. No, and like I said, for me, it's just the fact that he's, you know, the people have just almost enabled him over the years. And he's he's been saying things like this for a long time now. And even kind of like, look, when I was a kid, I remember getting the Rock'em Sock'em videos on my stocking yeah, stuffers yeah, every year. And I love them. Now, you know, I'm 36 years old and I realize, hey man, CTE and concussions, those are real heavy-duty topics that yeah. a lot of these players are having to live with. And you look at some of these guys that were in that era, the Bob Proberts and uh, Joey Kosers, who, you know, are Derek Bugards, all these guys that essentially, obviously Rick Rippin, yeah. you know, they, they're, they've been dealing with all this stuff. And for people, you know, to just kind of slough it off and not think it's a big deal and all, oh, he just, you know, he's just a little woozy. He needs to go to the bench and shake it off kind of thing. It's just that old way of thinking, and it just it, it needs to stop. It's just, yeah, it, it's a shame. Like I said, I, I always thought Don, early on in his career, represented Canada and hockey very well, very, especially to the Americans. Yeah, very pro-Canadian. Yes, which, which we all loved, but then it also started to get to the point where it's like, hey, you know, he's not wanting his team to participate in the international draft in the OHL, and... You know, just these weird little things, calling, you know, Europeans soft and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he, he had a real um, hard-on for Canadian players, in, which, which, you know, it's fine. I'm, I'm a proud Canadian, too, and I, I love seeing the good Canadian players. But his, his early rhetoric against European players and the way they played was also kind of tough to swallow, and especially when you see the way the European game has evolved, and especially in countries like Finland and Switzerland, really mimicked the Canadian game and, and taking that. And that's, that's a compliment to Canadian hockey. It shouldn't be a deterrent to Canadian hockey. Um, I, for me right now, I think we're at the point with Cherry, unless he issues an apology, it, it may be the end of coach's corner. And I don't want that. I don't want him to go out like that after everything. I, I have a feeling that he's, I, I don't know. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know what his level of, of thought process is with a lot of this stuff. Um, so I don't want to, put words in his mouth or anything but I, I think if this is the way he goes out it's pretty sad um i think he's got to apologize and maybe he's waiting and he'll do it on coach's corner next week but for me um yeah it's it's a pretty pretty ridiculous statement considering 
that we're, 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 we're a country of immigrants. Absolutely. And this country was built, you know, on the blood, sweat, and tears of immigrants. You know, the railroad across... the West Coast. Exactly. And the railroad that connects this country from coast to coast was built on the blood, sweat, and tears of the immigrants. Yeah, for sure. Um, The other thing I wanted to kind of tie into this, and there was a bit of a kerfuffle on Twitter this last week and stuff, and uh, this is Canucks related. I'm not going to mention any names, but there was a lot of talk about Adam Gaudet. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the talk about Adam Gaudet was the fact that he has had some, I guess, inappropriate or thoughtless tweets in the past. Um, He's a Trump supporter. Um, And, yeah, I just kind of wanted to gauge your thoughts on this. Obviously, look, I think one thing we do forget about from time to time, and I know we're all individuals and we all make our own decisions, it's the fact that, you know, you are influenced by your environment. And if you grow up in a certain environment at home, that's obviously going to, usually affect your your beliefs politically but my question not getting too far down the rabbit hole with political topics does that affect your fandom opinion or thoughts of godette would you not draft a player if a player was openly a trump supporter would you not draft him because of that um it wouldn't affect the way i i drafted no if he is a good player and a good person like i have family in the states and some of them are trump supporters yeah and that doesn't mean they're bad people it's just that's their political viewpoint you know they always voted that way um how, how long ago were those tweets from godette how old is he uh i think i think he was like 17 or 16 or something like that. i know th- there's a few of them that were from when he was back in 2016 i believe he's 21 now yeah um that's that's still i mean that's that's pretty young if, if i if i had twitter when i was at that age and man people could dig up some real dirt and shit on on the things i said i mean you're still learning at that time i mean and and so what if he is really i mean everyone's allowed to have their own political opinion as long as they're respectful of other people's political opinions so no for me uh you know i'm i'm not a trump fan but uh it's if people can vote however they want as long as they're respectful to other people and how they vote yeah i i I, look i totally agree and i look at some players that have been kind of overly political in the past like Alex Ovechkin's love for Putin. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he is a huge Putin I supporter. I love Putin as well. <laughs> um, and, you know, there have been comments here and there about Ovi's support of Putin, but I don't think he's been chastised as much as maybe he should be by what some people would hold as standards for, you know, uh, human rights and stuff like that. Um, I look at Tim Thomas, who mm-hmm. all those years ago, and look, t- Tim Thomas was obviously... Tim Thomas, we'll just leave it at that. He was he, he's a character, um, but you know he refused to go to the White House uh, when during Obama's uh, tenure as president, yeah. and he was criticized for it. But that was his civic right to not go. And now we're seeing teams and players choose not to go to the White House because Trump's there, mm-hmm. and people are applauding them. So for me, my only thing is like there, there can't be a double standard. You are allowed to have opposite political beliefs. That doesn't change my opinion as you as a player on the ice or a player on the football field. At the end of the day, I only know you because of what you do on the field or what you do on the ice. I don't know you personally. I'm not having drinks with you. I'm not having conversations you know, at a bar with you. I just care about what whether or not you produce on the ice for my team. Yeah, and hey, Adam Goddard, if you want to have some drinks with us, uh, we'd, be, we'd be down for that too. I think in any entertainment, whether it's movies or sports or, or music or anything, 
in, in order for things to work, people need to be emotionally invested in it. They need to have heroes. And because of that, you need to have villains. And not everyone's heroes and villains are going to be the same. Uh, when I was a big wrestling fan as a kid, I always loved the bad guys. <laughs> I always liked that. But those were kind of like my heroes, right? And uh, But in order for that to work, you have to have the classic hero or the anti-hero, right? And so... And, and bringing politics into sports like that, it's just that's layering one hero and anti-hero on top of uh, of another. And it's it's just really intertwining and makes things messy. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, it's, it's it, The NFL has gone through this for, for years with, with Colin Kaepernick and the whole taking a knee thing. And people completely misreading his message and turning it into this whole anti-America thing and, and going down that rabbit hole. But... I think as long as people are respectful of each other, I, I would, hey, if the Canucks drafted a, a, a hotshot kid, in a first-round pick who was a Trump supporter but a, a really good guy and the people in the dressing room loved him, that's totally fine with me. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I, I will say that, you know, if you are going to put that stuff out there, you do have to be prepared to be criticized. Mm-hmm. So I do get why some people have kind of gone after Godet on the topic. Because, you know, he put it out there. But if you're a 17-year-old high school player in in, uh, in the States and all your other friends are chattering and, you know, you could be on a team of 23 guys and you're the only guy who goes pro and everyone else is doing it and everyone else is chattering and, like, some of the guys are pro-Trump, some are anti-Trump. And so you're like, well, I'm going to kind of stoke the fire a bit this way. Like, man, it, it's tough when you're 17. We saw this with Trudeau recently as well. Yep. Doing things that the time that were socially acceptable but you look back now and you're just kind of like jeez oh, man like i couldn't do that and even you know i know we've talked about this before but you know insults that you'd hurl at each other in high school yep. back in the day and stuff you can't say those things i'm not going to say them now but i'm sure we all have those insults that we used back in the day that we we, had, we would not be comfortable using now and i certainly wouldn't use in any tweets so there's a little bit as well as looking at the time if adam Godet at that time and right now i don't think he's going out there and posting all this trump stuff because he's playing in canada and he knows the canadian market he knows the general sentiment here he doesn't want to get booed when he goes on the ice and he's he's aware of that so what he's doing back then uh, it, again it's a different climate a different context i mean he i'm sure he had nhl aspirations then but i don't think he was ever think that here he is several years later in a very fervent nhl market and this kind of stuff is coming back on him from stuff that had to do in his high school playing days. I guess we'll have to wait to see when the campaign revs up next year in the U.S. Uh, where Godet, uh, <laughs> what what his Twitter account is doing. Oh, I have All feel, jokes aside. I have a feeling he'll be pretty quiet, and I'm pretty sure the NHL teams around the league will have muzzles on players with that. Yeah, yeah, total joke. But uh, yeah, yeah, anyways... Some kind of uh, topics we generally don't want to talk about on the podcast, but definitely thought it was worth bringing up. Uh, Obviously, we want to keep these light and fun and fresh and, you know, have a positive spin and not talk about people's personal thoughts politically or beliefs. But uh, definitely, obviously, with the Ron and Don situation and then all the stuff coming out with Gaudet, Pete and I thought it was definitely worth talking about. Yeah, and uh, I mean, diversity is one of the things that makes this fan base great as well. And so... Uh, that's one of the things that, that I love about being a Canucks fan is you look around at all the different people and, and just how this whole lower mainland community, which is very diverse, is all really rallied around this team. And it's given it a, like, it gives it a cool identity, I think, as well. And I think that's also, it makes us more passionate than we need to be at times because of all that as well. I think we just 
we all have these different backgrounds and we just all have latched on to this kind of single rallying point of what makes us Canadian over here. And then when you see Don Cherry make these remarks about stuff like that, anyways, it just it just doesn't sit well, especially with, with this fan base, I would say. Well, often, uh, we'll quickly wrap this up here, but Pete, you often say, who would you say demographically is the most passionate Vancouver fan base in the South Indian community for sure absolutely I mean I've got a lot of buddies in that community and man like their 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 whole household is just knows everything about the Canucks it's it's absolutely nuts but yeah I, I agree but it's not even just it's not even just that it's 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 everyone you know I'm a I'm born and raised out here too and you know and people are being here for generations and people coming over it's just every everyone is just so passionate about this team and it's it's uh, certainly not limited to whether you're you know fresh off the boat or if you've been here for you know hundreds of years it doesn't really matter but it's uh for us out here we got a, we got a pretty cool diverse fan base and i think that's one of the the coolest things about being a canucks fan all right with all that said let's uh move into our conversation with uh ted wong from the pp1 podcast <laughs> Joining us now, our guest this week from the PP1 podcast, we have Ted Wong. You can find him on Twitter at T3Re. There's a lot of E's in there, four of them all together. Ted, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks. How about you guys? Yeah, good. Uh, just, you know, recovering from watching uh, the latest effort against the Devils here. So uh, we're still a little bit shell-shocked, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I think if uh, I don't see Mackenzie Blackwood again until next year, I'll be just fine with that. <laughs> no kidding. Um, we always like to just start off these things with just telling us a little bit about how you became a fan, maybe an early memory of the team, and just what was the turning point for you. Um, yeah, myself, I grew up um, on Vancouver Island for the most part when I was younger, so um coming up in the early 90s i was uh i got pretty hooked playing you know road hockey with the boys up front you know making sure that i could get as much time in before we had to come in for dinner in the game so the game was always at around seven o'clock and it was kind of that um you know that setup of the old 94 team and you know uh linden and Bray and mclean and and all those boys kind of got me hooked back in the day with the you know the, the skate on a plate of spaghetti logo um, so I spent my time, you know, in the early 90s being a Canucks fan back then. And uh, when I moved to the interior, I live in Kelowna now. Um, I caught on at uh, a place called Jersey City. And, uh, you know, working with boys, it was kind of like hockey talk, nine to five, five days a week, nonstop. And, you know, a couple of cup runs and so on and so forth. And so it kind of just, uh, you know, the Canucks were just on the topic all the time, 100% of the time. And, um, you know, after we left working there, kind of just continued to go and, you know, now we're doing the uh, the podcast, and you know the Canucks are just uh, a hot topic team right now, and it's just kind of been that way. Nice, Ted, and uh, yeah, how is the podcast going? Uh, how did you guys kind of come up with the idea to start a podcast? Well, I think Ryan and I had sort of talked about um, you know doing a cast and trying to get on, but we could never really find that third guy, and we didn't know if we ever were going to find that third guy. And then I started talking to. Uh, Brady, who was another guy I worked with back in at Jersey City back in the day, and uh, you know he came to me after we hadn't talked to each other for like five years or something like that, and he was like, "Hey, you know I'm getting really stoked. I think it's, you know I'm starting to write. I think it's like time that maybe we get this cast going." And so I was like, "Oh, that's good. I know just the perfect guy to to make a third wheel." And so him and myself and Ryan all got together, and then it kind of just was uh, 
you know, it was a, a good mix of conversations and personalities. And so um, we decided to just jump on the jump on the mic and, you know, away we went. Before we knew it, we were like 10 episodes deep and it seems like a really good fit for the four of us, or the three of us, sorry. Yeah, we had Braden on several episodes ago. I don't remember which one it was. No, Doug, do you? No, not off the top of my head. I want to say it was episode six or seven. Well, let's go with let's go with six or seven. Um, but yeah, you kind of said the same thing, and I think you guys are in the same boat as us. It's just there's a new era with the team, and there's a lot of buzz with the 50th year, and just kind of this general movement of the team moving forward. Was there anything that kind of drew you guys in specifically this year and this timing to do it as opposed to perhaps last year? Yeah, I think like, you know, like a lot of us, I mean, you guys have started up kind of around the same time we have. And, um, you know, the, the, the Botford passing, I think, was like a, um, a don't wait kind of signal for a lot of us. Um, so I think when the opportunity came around and, and it was kind of like, you know, push come to shove, are we going to do this thing or not? It was kind of like, hey, you know, I think I think now is the right time to do it. And um, that's probably why there's so many of us. It must be like, you know, 80 Connects podcasts out there now. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that had a lot to do with it. I think we were thinking a lot about what was going on in, in um, articles in Canuck Nation, and there was just so much positive talk about the things that he did and what he did from a media perspective and, you know, how much we all enjoyed listening to um, the podcast and um, many of Boschford's takes throughout the, the years that it was just like, hey, you know what, maybe maybe it's time to just, you know, put myself out there um, with some friends that I feel comfortable with and, you know, let's make this thing happen. And, and that's how, uh, that's kind of how we got started. Yeah, we were very much the same way, taking the, the Botchford inspiration and finally just deciding to do something with it and get lost in this sea of Canucks podcasts that we've uh, yeah. all helped kind of create out there. Um, what do you think overall right now is the, the general feel of fans of the Canucks right now? Do you feel there's a bit of a resurgence? Uh, what is kind of the, your, the take that you're getting from online and from talking to people? I think it's like, uh, you know, from a, an online perspective, I think I've just, uh, you know, recently this past year, I've tried to really get back into the Twitter thing and sort of do, you know, live tweets during games. And um, it seems like there's a lot more feedback out there. It seems like more people have more to say than, than I don't want to say for, than ever before, but at least in the last, like, five years, it seems the team has kind of turned things around and there's this... Uh, you know, this renewed vigor and confidence from, from Canuck Nation. And, um, you know, that can only be a good thing. Canuck fans are, they're always sort of a, um, you know, a funny breed. Sometimes they go and sometimes they stay, but there's always that really, you know, strong core of people who are always supporting and they're always out there bringing their topics and their discussion um, to the forefront all the time. And those are the guys that we kind of key on, but it seems like to that core has been added like a really good influx of, of new voices out there from, from people that are out there chatting and it's good for, for the Canucks and um, it's good for us and I think it makes, you know, the conversation on especially a space like Twitter uh, that much more engaging for sure. Yeah, I tend to agree with you wholeheartedly there, Ted. Um, a lot of the times you get a lot of people say how toxic Canucks Twitter is and all this stuff. But honestly, <laughs> since Pete and I have kind of put ourselves out there, just like you guys at the PP1 podcast have, I feel like everyone's super welcoming and friendly and willing to discuss yeah, like adults, definitely. you know, certain situations that the Canucks have been going through these past few years. Um, and yeah, like I, for me, the community has been very, very, very welcoming. I'm sure you feel the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I, I was shocked actually. That was, um, you know, the, one of the things that I wasn't, I wasn't too sure about. I mean, it's like, um, you know, if you end up, uh, you know, at, at a beach to go do some local surf that you're not supposed to be on, the locals are like, you know, 
<laughs> get off my beach, don't don't crowd my wave, right? So, um, you know, I was curious what was going to happen when we jumped into the the, the podcast, you know, um, community. What it was going to be like, you know, are these people going to be um, standoffish? Are they going to be like, hey, don't don't crowd my turf, you're stealing my views? Or is it is it going to be positive? Are we going to find some nice guys? But it seems like you know everybody that we've talked to has really been you know, really good about reaching out and making themselves available and, and super supportive and any advice that they feel like they can give, they they will, you know, uh, right down into jumping into conversations where we're making sure that we're sort of, you know, helping each other out with retweets and, and, and listens and feedback and constructive criticism. And um, it was a lot more than I thought was going to happen, um, you know, when we kind of stepped into this world. And it's it's been really positive and, and I'm really happy to say that for sure. Yeah, I, I fully agree. It's been uh, it's been definitely more of an adventure for us in the learning curve as well. But we it, it is a great outlet just to get out there and talk about the Canucks. And with that in mind, what what about the team this year really jumps out of you as, as a strong point? Well, um, I would say up until at least the last four games that there's been like such a, a balanced amount of scoring. Um, uh, you know, watching guys like like PD take another step and. Um, seeing Bo settle, not, yeah, Bo settle into his role and, and, and Brock sort of, um, you know, find his game back a little bit. I mean, uh, he was, you know, collecting points last year, but he wasn't as dangerous as he was during his rookie season. And it seems like there's this extra level of creativity to let the creative players wheel a little bit and play off of one another. Um, and I think Coach Green, for the most part, has put guys in, a, like, a good, you know, position to succeed, and he wasn't doing things like, um, you know, the talk was to put a guy like Ferlin on the first line and, um, you know, he was going to sort of ride shotgun with Bo and Petey, or Brock and Petey, but, you know, it didn't work out that way. It worked out that, you know, Miller was actually the best guy for that line and the cream rose to the top, but he let that happen, right? Um, so he's done a good job of sort of not stifling creativity and letting continuity happen. Um, you know, and then when we flip that back to the decor, we actually have, you know, six guys that can all play that are actually NHL defensemen, which is a really nice thing to have, I think, for the first time in a while. Um, so they're out there munching minutes, and there's lots of pinches that are happening that didn't quite happen last year, and those guys are putting up points. So it's been more of a collective effort um, to date, and we're getting that secondary scoring, which we haven't had for, I mean, you guys know, for what seems like five years or so now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, those are kind of the things that are, that are really standing out for me that kind of set this team apart from what it's been in previous years, for sure. Well, you mentioned continuity and creativity with uh, the forward group and creating secondary scoring. And we've kind of gotten back to this revolving cast of Bo Horvat line mates in the last little while. What do you think yeah. is the best line combination for Bo based on who is healthy with the team right now and who's currently with the team? Well, I mean, obviously we have to find a, a guy for Bo, and I don't know. Um, that seems like it's been just the theme for him the last few years. And, um, you know, I I don't know if that's if that's going to get solved in the short term. I know we were watching this game uh, here this afternoon, and they were talking about, hey, the Canucks might be in the market for an additional winger for Bo. Um, but for the most part, I think you know one guy who he's always played really well with with was was Berchi. Um So now that he's back, I mean, I think we as a collective unit have all been clamoring for that to happen for a long time. So I'm glad that Berchi's back. Um, you know, I made this like uh, comment about a tweet that I had read where they were kind of you know, reuniting in this flowery field after being away from each other for so long. So I'm excited to see those guys get some chemistry back. And I think, you know, for my money, probably putting Britannon on that line is probably the best bet. Um, 
there's going to be bumps in the road with Vertanen, and he's going to have inconsistent games in and out. But I think, you know, having a guy like, um, you know, a, pro- a professional like Berchi and, a, and, a, and another pro like, like Horvat who can, you know, lead by example and drag him along, and I am the captain, and this is how it's going to go, and you're going to get out of this funk. I think from, like, a, a long-term perspective and how development works for the young player like that, that's a, probably the best scenario for him to let him try to develop into that role. And if at the end of the season that doesn't work out, then we can figure that out. But, you know, for my money, I think the most potential lies in that sort of trio of scores. Uh, you also brought up the decor, and one of the topics that a lot of people have been discussing lately is Alex Edler's minutes and how he's playing too many yeah. minutes, and he's at risk of maybe getting in and falling into another injury. What would you say would be the best thing to try to reduce Alex Edler's minutes? Would you take him off the PK, or would you take him off the power play? Well, I think I think Edler's fine on on the power play. I think he can have him on the, on the second unit. I think. Um... The second season doesn't get a ton of minutes as it is, so you know I think that's all right. But I think we probably need to elevate the third pairing a little bit more. Um, you know, as much as I've been clamoring about, you know, how annoyed I am with how much Edler's playing, and that isn't because Edler's, you know, poor by any measure. It's because he is a good player, and I want him to make sure that he plays the whole season. Um, I think it has more to do with I think we need to elevate, you know, a player like Stetcher, who you know for the last couple of years has been our our best or of one of our best defenders that I think is being wasted at like 13, 15 minutes a night. Um, so I think if we can elevate that third pairing and then, you know, sit that somewhere around the 19 to 20 minute mark, you know, we have three strong pairs, so let's let's use them. Let's not waste these guys on the bench. And I think you can use Stetcher in a PK role, and I think you can use them on the power play as well. But um, for now, I think just elevating that third spot is going to, you know, decline Edler's minutes, save him for the long run. You know, that also frees up the guy like Tanev as well from playing too much. Um, and then shuffle extra minutes to guys like Hughes on the power play just to make sure that that's, uh, that's rolling along. And I think that's probably the best way to make sure that we're going to preserve um, the efforts from Edler that we're going to need from him long-term for this season. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't know if Green has PTSD from the third-pairing defense of last year, and that's why he's not utilizing the third-pairing more. But uh, I think you bring up a really good point because I'm just trying to be a little bit creative with how could we you know, manage Edler's minutes a little bit more. And I think Stetcher, if given the opportunity, I think he would be very good on the second or first unit PK. Uh, the PK has yeah. been probably one of the brighter spots and most consistent spots as far as special teams go this year. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think Stetcher, the lack of Stetcher's play is a little bit, I don't want to say concerning, but it, it seems a little off. But it is concerning. I think, you know, I think off is a fair statement, but I think concerning is too. I think he does so many good things for this team and that decor and that he's done for the last few years. Um, you know, even when that power play wasn't going last year, it wasn't until we finally moved Stetcher up to that line and he was the guy that could actually distribute the puck from that spot um, to PD in that sort of like top of the hash marks for that one timer, right? So he's a strong passer. I think he can help the second unit. And, you know, I would like to see a time one day where maybe we can see a Stetcher Hughes pairing. And I, 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 I'm salivating at how, how good that one could possibly be um, with how well those guys both move the puck. But yeah, there's, there's a lot to like about Stetcher's game. And I, I agree with you. I think it's being underutilized. Just a couple of things with Stetcher and with Edler. Edler is the highest ice time on the team by quite a bit at 25 minutes. And Stetcher yeah. is the least used defenseman of the team, kind of hovering around 14 minutes. And, of course, a lot of that is due to the fact that he doesn't get special team time. However, even on even strength time, he's also the lowest among defensemen in terms of average time on the ice. And I'm with you. I'm a, I'm a big Troy Stetcher fan. I think 
I think he's got a lot to bring to the table, and I do feel like he's being yeah. underused right now. I'm not exactly sure what the reason is for that. It really is confusing. I, I, like, uh, it seems like this starts for him every year. It's like you know, minimal minutes are doled out. A guy gets hurt. We feel like we have to lean on Stetcher, and then by the time guys get, are getting healthy, it's like, oh, you know, I actually have this really serviceable right-handed shot defenseman here. Um, you know, and that always seems to happen at the midway point or later, but why don't we just realize that the boy can play, like, right off the bat and give the kids the minutes? I mean, I don't know. It's kind of confusing for me. One thing I would like to see Stetcher do in the next offseason is find whoever Quinn Hughes went to to work on a shot during the offseason. Because if Stetcher could add a shot, I mean, honestly, he would have to be top four. Yeah, it's crazy. I was I was like legit shocked how well he was shooting the puck. So when we watched the World Championship, I I didn't think that he was a threat at all when he had the puck on the point. I mean, it was he was such a dangerous passer that he didn't need to be. But that shot, like he, boys, I mean, even today he was letting that thing go, and I was like legit shocked at how much better and how much harder it is than than I ever gave him credit for, for sure. So if Stetcher's got to find a way to get in to go see his shooting coach, then man, the he's got to make that happen for sure. And it's a more accurate shot, too. I mean, what I, what I like about it, Hughes, the way he shoots it, is it's not kind of traditional tee-it-up bomb from the point, but it gets through and it gets on net. And that was something that previous versions of this defense, remember Derek Pouliot on the power play last yeah. few times, guy was hitting the glass more than he was hitting the net. But it's nice to see yeah. where Hughes is putting the shots as well. It's a lot of nice deflection lanes and shots are getting through with him as well. Um, what are your thoughts on Tyler Myers so far? Um, so I got to give Myers credit. He's been, you know, as advertised, um, you know, initially I was really worried about that signing, uh, cause everybody in their dog knew that he was coming here. Um, and I'll take a little bit of flack for that being from Kelowna. So, um, anybody that's out here that hears me say that is not going to like that. I wasn't a fan of that signing to start, but that being said, he came in at the right dollar value. So I think maybe 1.5 or 2 million, a little less than everybody thought that he was going to get. Um, so he had to like that. And I think his game has been, it's been really good. He's looked good with Edler. Um, you know, initially I thought that that was going to be a problem pair uh, to begin with, but those two have really helped each other's game out. And I think um, he didn't have to play a huge amount of minutes when he was in um, Winnipeg because that decor was so strong. Um, but yeah, man, he's, he's a big trio out there for sure. I mean, it looks like it's tough to get around him. He's got that big, long stick. He obviously skates a, a lot better than anybody um, would anticipate for a player of his size. Um, and he seems like he's really smart with the puck. So um, when it's down low and, and we're sort of getting our teeth kicked in a little bit on the cycle, I think that pairing struggles a little bit. And if they play a little bit too much, they struggle a little bit. Um, but that goes back to what we were talking about before. If we can just find a way to get those guys down to like the 20, 22 minute range, probably be a little bit better. But, you know, on the whole, I'm, I'm happy with the way that, that Myers has worked out so far. Him and Edler look good together. Um, another topic that I'd like to switch to that Pete and I have kind of been dis discussing quite a bit lately is the goaltending. And I would say goaltending for this team this year has probably been the most consistent aspect of their yeah. game. But at the end of this year, the club has a big decision to make with Jacob Markstrom becoming a UFA. Uh, what do you think the club should do? Should they look at locking up Markstrom for a long-term deal or... Is the future now for Thatcher Demko, who they have a little bit more cap control and term control over? What would you do in that situation? Like, I think if you're, you know, any one of the, the, you know, the the top ten GMs in the league, I think you're you're locking up the asset, right? I think you you lock up your players that are good for your team that help you win now, um, and then you 
you manage your assets later. So if at the end of the year, you know, Markstrom's playing anywhere near the level that he's playing right now, then I think that's an absolute must for management to lock him up. I think I'm not super concerned about, you know, how much can we be spending on a goaltending tandem because um, even though he's playing at a high level, I don't think he's making the big, big bucks that, like, say, a, a Bobrovsky would. Um, you know, all those goaltenders that are making like big bank on their paychecks or those are all former Vesna winners. And I don't think that, you know, for as good as Markstrom has been, I don't think he's in that Vesna conversation. Um, I don't know if you guys would agree with me on that, but I think that probably locks him in somewhere around like the, the 5 million range. And I think if we're carrying a starter for $5 million and a, you know, the, the number one goaltending prospect on our team to continue to develop, I, I think that we can deal with whatever problems arise past that point. Um, but we can't let him walk for free. Do you have any concerns with the upcoming expansion draft? Because we can only protect one of them. So we're going to essentially lose one of them in theory for nothing. Sure. I think uh, the, the new expansion draft is going to be, you know, interesting. It's going to be a whole nother can of worms. It's not going to go, um, it's not going to go the same way that it did for Vegas. I think a lot of, a lot of the franchises probably learned their lesson about how to manage their assets. So uh, Jimbo says he's got a plan. Um, so we'll see what they have um, doled out for us. But I think, you know, if they were really, you know, really hardened on the fact that they had to keep Markstrom, they would find a way to do it, whether it be, you know, offering up a pick or a player to select somebody else in lieu of. Um, but again, I think that's impossible to know right now. I just think that they have to be prepared to manage their assets correctly, which this, this, this management group hasn't always done really well in the past. Um, so we got to hope that there's some level of like lesson learned there. Um, but yeah, I think in the long run, I'm not concerned with how um, the expansion draft is looking on the horizon. Yeah, we have the two goalies locked up this year for 4.7. We got Demko just a shade over one next year, and that's going into the expansion draft year. Do you have an idea with, let's say Markstrom plays lights out, which he, I think he's playing very well already, team wants yeah. to re-sign him. What would be kind of an ideal range for a 29-year-old who's going to be getting a bump from $3.6 million? Oh, I don't know. I think it's going to depend on what the market at that time. But, I mean, if he's making somewhere around, like, 5.76, I think that's, like, a, a bill to, 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 to garner. I don't know how much more you can ask for if you're not in that elite range. So, um, you know, I think if we're heading into the end of the season and we've continue the current structure and we're going to try to get Demko into, you know, 30, 30 plus games, then I don't know how you can ask for much more than that if you haven't played the games to acquire that kind of salary. So, um, yeah, I think maybe that, that 5.7, 6 mil might be the, the range that he ends up looking for. We have a couple other UFAs coming up at the end of the year that make things interesting. Um, all of a sudden, Tim Schaller and Josh Levo, they're both UFAs this year. Do you think that there's a chance we bring either or both of them back? Um, well, I don't know about you guys. So I'd be interested to hear your opinion. But I was shocked that, that Schaller got the deal that he got um, for a pretty marginal fourth-line player. You know, That being said, he's been good this year. He was an absolute train wreck last year. But he's probably making more money than we initially thought. But in my opinion, a guy like Schaller is probably not in your long-term plans. And I feel like there's guys on that roster you know, maybe a McEwen who could easily fill that role or at least, you know, develop into that role. Um, so you probably shouldn't be considering bringing a guy like Schaller back unless he really does something in this next little bit that would garner another contract. I think you're just walking into to trouble or at least roadblocking, um, 
you know, potential assets or prospects that are making their way up. Levo, he's kind of a funny one. I think he, he's got a skill set and, and size that you, you know, really appreciate. I think he's got better hands than we probably think he has, but he doesn't really put the points up either. So, um, in a pinch, I think he's good enough to play on your first line for a couple of games if you need him, all the way down to your fourth line. So there's a level of versatility there that um, I think that Schaller doesn't bring. I don't think there's a scenario where we see Schaller playing on a first or second line ever, or a power play unit for that matter. Um, so I think you have to let it, things sort of just ride with Levo and see where he's at at the end of the season, and then see how your roster shakes down before you make that decision. But I think out of the two, I can't see Schaller coming back, but I could see a scenario where Levo is the guy that gets resigned. So correct me if I'm wrong, you're pretty much calling Josh Levo the new Granlund. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> but yeah, he except for he doesn't take as many draws because he's not a center and he doesn't lose as many draws because Granlund loses a ton. But yeah, um, yeah, Granlund kind of fat in, like he just, he just fit in that spot with the Twins that one year where he had like 19 goals and all of a sudden he rolled that to a re-signing, right? Um, so versatile player, but I think you can improve on that. Um, but let's hope he's better than Granlund. No, I totally agree with you. I'm just making a bad joke there. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think Levo is a guy, like you said, he could play on your top line if need be for a handful of games. And he can play all the way down on the fourth line if you need him. Uh, he's been decent on the second unit power play from time to time. Yeah. He doesn't put up the points like you're, that you'd hope he would, but he's still relatively productive. Uh, with the Tim Schaller, just going back to your comment about Schaller, I agree. For me, my issue with Schaller wasn't necessarily the dollar. It was the term. I didn't think yeah. he deserved a two-year deal coming off the season he had with Boston. Yeah, I mean, I guess they, they loved him in Boston. Um, you know, and, and he's playing really not right, really well right now. Um, by really well, I mean, like, from a fourth-line standard. Um, and the fans seem to like them. I mean, Vancouver fans really like their fourth-liners when they're going. You go all the way back to, to Jeff Cowan and so on and so forth. But um, but you're right. The term the term was not desirable, just like it hasn't been desirable for a bunch of those um, free agent signings over the last few years from, from this management group. But, um, you know, if he's going to be here and he's going to be productive while he's here, uh, then that's fine. But I don't think he's part of the long-term plan. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I don't see a way that Schaller comes back. 20, 28 years old, 1.9 million cap hit. That's going to be kind of tough to get around. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Just, yeah, just some uh, kind of final thoughts here after this little bit, of, little bit of a bump we've hit, this first kind of speed bump in the season as we approach the quarter pull. Yeah. What do you think It's kind of let the team down a little bit at the moment? Where, what, why is the offense dried up? Do you think it was more of a case of, team got off to a hot start and just kind of blew their load a bit earlier? Do you think, uh, what, is there other factors that teams are pressing on PD more? What, what do you think uh, happened with the team a little bit here? I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's a bunch of things. So obviously we kind of had, you know, it's been well documented that that was a softened schedule on the first, you know, uh, first 10 games of the season. Uh, November's always going to be a tough month, it seems like, in, in, in Vancouver for, for Canucks fans in general. Um, you know, we're heading down to a stretch where we're about to play a bunch of really good quality teams. Um, so we made some hay in the first little bit. I think we're probably all in agreement that we know November is going to be really tough. If we can find a way to come out of this 500, um, then we're probably going to be unscathed. I think at the end of the season, it's going to be a dogfight for those final roster spots. But I think there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few things. We've kind of had a couple of injuries and, you know, a couple of injuries have caused lines to get juggled up. And, you know, the one thing that I said I was really, you know, excited about or what's changed most about this team um, when you asked me at the top of the episode was I think that scoring has been balanced. 
So, yeah, now for the last little bit, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing, um, you know, the, the third and fourth line pot goals. We're not really seeing goals from the defense now at this point. And, um, you know, now we kind of go back to being a one, maybe a two-line team, but in more of a one-line team in this last little bit because even the Horvat line hasn't got anything going. I think Pedersen's, not Pedersen, sorry, Pearson's been, you know, what a, a dozen games without scoring. I think Bo's been six or seven without scoring. And um, if you don't have a second line scoring, you're not rolling. And we're kind of back to the days where it was the Twins were the only guys that were going on, on the team. So we've got to figure that out. I think it's uh, positive in the sense that we can look at the roster and the games that have gone on in November. And I think that we're still dominating large stretches of the game. We're just come, not coming out of the win. So I think if they stick to the plan, you know, don't get overzealous in the fact that um, we're we're behind in these games and now shit's just going uh, going awry to a certain extent. Then we should be we should be fine. But I think November is going to be a real test for sure, and we need to come out of it somewhat healthy. And I think with at least a 500 record. Yeah, I agree. November is traditionally a tough month. It usually involves a long road trip, and we're we're about to see that again. Yeah. Um. Just uh, kind of kind of final thoughts here. Giving you the floor here. Love for you to plug your boys, your show. Tell us what's going on. Uh, yeah, so the the PP1 podcast, I think we're coming into uh, episode number 11. Uh, so that's a big deal for us. I know you guys had a really fun one on your episode talking about who wore number 11. Don't say his name. <laughs> who did wear um, number 11? Uh, so, you know, that'll be going for us. I think we've got some, uh, the potential for some cool things to be happening for us in the future. So we'll have to sort of keep that under, under wraps. But, yeah, that's the PP1 podcast. So you can find us on Twitter. Um, you know, you got Ryan Hank in there. Uh, Braden Ursel and myself um, and if you, if you need to or you want to maybe give me a follow um, at T3 that's T-E-E 3-R-E-E and yeah I just really appreciate you guys uh, having me on the show and, and kind of growing this community a little bit more yeah for sure man we really like what you guys are doing you guys have got some great guests on You've uh, this show sounds great and again we're kind of like expansion cousins so uh, we're yeah. going to kind of grow up and, and do this all together one of us will have to be like the Buffalo Sabres <laughs> we'll say Doug there you go yeah Thanks, man. Cool. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we will be in touch. Yeah, anytime. I, uh, I appreciate it, and uh, keep up the good work, guys. I, I enjoy listening. Hey, right back at you, Ted. Thanks, man. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. It's free pour time, except uh, this is a dry November still. We're not, we're not doing any drinks with this segment so we'll we'll pretend we'll have a a nice glass of water but no whiskey today but for my thing i want to talk about today i want to talk about a kid that i've been extremely excited about since we drafted him in 2017 in the fourth round that's jack rathbone and he's come flying out of the gates with harvard right now he's got six points in his first three games including a couple nice ones he's really taken over the blue line there once adam fox left as well um, and, and it just, I've always liked this kid. I, he had a lot of untapped potential, and it, it is weird when you see a kid who goes back to high school after being drafted, but it, it kind of reminds me just a bit of some of the other character guys that we had. He went back to do it so he could spend time with his brother, who has autism, and that's also part of the reason he's chose to stay with Harvard, is so that he's closer to home. But this kid just has a really good head on his shoulders, and he's coming in this year, and he's taking it to the next level. And Again, we talk a lot about our prospects. We graduated Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko this year, but there's a lot of kids coming up in the system. Jack Rathbone, I've said for a while, he's a guy to watch. He's this. He could go pro after this year. I mean, you could see him with the Canucks get 
had a cup of coffee at the end of this year even. Uh, but he's a guy to watch right now, and he's off to a fast start, and you should be excited. Yeah, he's definitely a player to be watching for, uh, Canucks fans, if you haven't heard from him. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about this week is Lamar Jackson, quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I'm a Patriots fan, wholeheartedly, but Pete and I play fantasy football. We've been playing, this is what, our seventh year, I believe? And uh, I took Lamar Jackson in my fantasy league, or in our fantasy league, with the second to last pick. And I'm currently sitting at 7-2, and two, probably going to win tonight. So I'll, you know, I'll be first in the league at 8-2, and two, and man... You hear it all the time, but this kid is a cheat code out there. It looks like he's playing a video game. Uh, he's probably going to break Michael Shatter. I shouldn't say break. Shatter Michael Vick's records for all-time rushing yards by a quarterback in the season. As a Pats fan, the Ravens have always been a team that I've always thought played us really hard and I'm always worried against. And I know Kansas City got Pat Mahomes back today, but uh, the Ravens are the team that I'm most worried about heading into the playoffs. I'm right behind you at 7-3. Yes, you are. <laughs> All right, uh, that wraps it up. Uh, we'll, uh, let's close this thing out, Pete. All right. All right, that wraps up, wraps up episode 13 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. Again, give us a follow on Twitter, at Canucks Speak. I'm one half of the hosting duties, Doug Venn. Please follow me, at Doug Venn. And I'm Pete. You can find me at Pete underscore gas. And just before we wrap this thing up, I wanted to give a special thought, shout out to Jacob Markstrom and his family. Uh, we're all wishing you the best. I know it's been a difficult time for you. And I uh, just want you to know that myself and Doug, we're thinking of you, buddy. Definitely. This one's for you. Um, and then uh, thanks again, Ted, for joining us uh, from the PP1 podcast. Uh, give him a follow at T3Read. Uh, and yeah, man, those guys are putting up some great content, Canucks related, out of Kelowna. Definitely worth your time to listen to. Um, our, yeah. our podcast cousins. They are. Our, our podcast expansion brothers. Uh, something like that. Or our half brothers. Um, yeah. Episode 13 in the books. Kind of. Just like Artin Chubarov. And uh, once again, also, give us a follow on Spotify. We've created a profile on Spotify, Canucks Speakeasy. Give us a follow on there. Check out the playlist we're building. This song you're hearing right now will be included. Pop quiz. What's First person to shout Pete and I out on Twitter what song this is. Uh, we'll have a little prize for you. I like it. Will the prize be that they get to come and cut one of our hair? Or maybe they'll get to come on the podcast and talk to you and I. Or maybe they can come to a game with us. Hey, that, that's a prize. All right, uh, that wraps up episode 13. Thanks for listening. Hasta mañana.